Good morning. We're going to return our attention to 2 Corinthians one more time. What we have seen in the last several weeks involves the most personal letter, I believe, that the Apostle Paul writes in the New Testament. In one particular study, we have looked at the power of God and how God is so clearly revealed upon the pages of this letter that is written to the Corinthians, the second letter that is there. And then we see the problem of the one that we might refer to as the prince of the power of the air, the one who is striving against the child of God and is doing everything he can to keep us from overcoming and living with God forever. But I would like for us to look at the very personal nature of the letter that the Apostle Paul writes to the church. When we think about all that Paul is going through as he writes this, that personal nature is going to be seen in that he feels personally attacked from enemies that are trying to undermine his position as an apostle. But above that, we see all that he personally went through being persecuted for the cause of Christ. And in all of that, he provides a great example for us. You know, we say it often and we can say it again today that as we come in from various places, visitors, members, young, old, male, female, with children, without children, wherever we find ourselves, we find ourselves in the midst of some kind of problem. You know, as you are traveling down the road of life, life is going to deal you some blows. And I want you to think about the Apostle Paul as he writes this. He is writing in the context of a wonderful opportunity to share the great message of Jesus Christ. We're no longer bound by the old law, but we have something more glorious. It's shining. It's bright. And the Apostle Paul says, because we have this ministry, having received mercy, we don't faint. He's going to go on to say that we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully, but committing ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Our gospel is veiled veiled to those that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of those that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on us. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who caused the light to shine out of darkness has shined it into our hearts so that we might make manifest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ in the, uh, the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus might be manifest in our mortal bodies. The Apostle Paul is going to say that as in this life we have Jesus Christ presented in our, we're being put to death for Jesus' sake. So that that life of Jesus Christ might be put forward for you to see and appreciate. The Apostle Paul is struggling through this tension, this difficulty that is this life versus the life which is to come. Death and life, glory and shame. What he wanted was the success and the promotion of good for those that he wrote to. He wanted the enemies of Christ to be subjugated to the power of Christ. But he did so in the context of his own suffering. As we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to see some important lessons that can help us when life deals us a blow. 
But I want to tell you about a man that I read about some time back, a man by the name of J.L. Hunter Red Roundtree. Very unusual man, a man who chose a life in bank robbing. The first time that he pulled a job was in Biloxi. He went in and he tried to rob that bank, but he did so unsuccessfully. And as a result of that, he was captured and was given probation. The next year, Roundtree tried again, and this time he was successful. He robbed a nation's bank in Pensacola, Florida, and for his trouble, he was given three years in prison. As soon as he got out, he promptly went into Abilene, Texas. He went into the bank as... Uh, is often the case, didn't have a weapon, but he went up to the teller, handed her a note demanding money. He got away with $2,000. He took off and they captured him 20 miles north of the city of Abilene. And that's where the story got interesting. J.L. Hunter Roundtree, when he pulled the Biloxi job, was 87 years old. And when he was arrested in Abilene, Texas, he had already had his 91st birthday. And and it begs the question, why does a man in that stage of his life decide to get into a life of bank robbing? Well, he'll tell you. He says that he was once a very successful businessman. He was the owner of a company that made winches for offshore drilling rigs. His first wife, Faye, had died, and then he married again, and he married a woman much less than half of his age, and she had a drug problem. He spent over half a million dollars in trying to help her through that and finally divorced her. And in the midst of all of this, there was a Corpus Christi bank that he had done business with that forced him into bankruptcy. And he said, from that point forward, I did not like banks, and I decided that I was going to get even, and I did. He said, banks are the easiest thing in the world to rob. All I have now is social security and I love to live good. When you think about Mr. Roundtree's situation, it brings, at least in my mind, several things to bear. How does somebody so close to eternity turn to a life so brazenly sinful? And how often it is that when we have difficulties in life that we try to find somebody, whether it's banks or wives or hardships, to blame for our turning to sin. And how easy it is that bitterness can blossom into something far uglier, into sin itself. And how often it is that the problems that we have in this life can either make us better or they can break us. You know, God could have, in His sovereign will, decided that somebody who is not a Christian would only have problems and difficulties as long as they were on this earth and that those who were Christians would never struggle through any problems in any struggles. But He didn't. I have never known a child of God who is not going through some kind of problem or struggle. We shed tears like anybody else. We have made our trips to the cemetery. We have faced the consequences of sin. We have found ourselves being betrayed and hurt by others. We have suffered loss, even financial loss, and it just reminds us that when you are traveling down the road of life, life is going to deal you some blows. No less than the great apostle Paul is going to demonstrate that for us. But what Paul does for us is that in the midst of these personal struggles that we find ourselves going through, That he shows us what we can do when life deals us a blow. Very briefly, notice with me five things that Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that we can do when life deals us a blow. 
The first thing that we should do when life deals us a blow is to focus on our purpose. How easily the winds of trouble can blow us off course. And when that happens, we can forget why it is that we're here in the first place. But the Apostle Paul gives us at least three parts of our purpose in our context that helps us to focus on that when the problems of our lives cause us to get distracted and to forget why we're here. The first reason that we're here is to serve. Verse 1 and verse 5. The Apostle Paul says that they have a ministry. They're servants. And as such, they focus on that having received mercy. They focus on the task that they have. It's the task that Jesus said that he had. You know, Jesus in Matthew 20 and verse 28 says that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. One thing that we know is that people who are around us are going through greater difficulties than we are. It doesn't take us very long, and I don't even know what it is that you are specifically going through. You don't have to do much of a survey before you find others with whom you would not trade the things that you're going with with the things that they're going with. And not only that, so often, whatever it is that's difficult in our lives, it could be far worse than it is right now. I read about a woman in a poor village And she was struggling with a complicated domestic issue. She had her in-laws coming to stay with her. And I don't know how she felt about them, but here's the problem. She, in that little small hut that she had, had her husband and her five children. There was a village sage, and she went to him for advice. And he, she laid out the problem as it was, and he said, Take the family cow and bring it into the hut and see me in a week. She thought he was crazy. But she did what he said. She went and she put that cow inside the little hut and she came back in a week. And he said, "Uh, how are things? And she said, worse than ever. What should I do? He says, take the family rooster and bring it into the hut and see me in a week. Now she knew he was crazy, but based on his reputation, she did just that. She came back to see him in a week. And he said, how are things now? She said, you just can't believe it's never been this bad. What should I do? He said, take the cow out of the village hut and see me in a week. You see, she thought things were bad and then she added difficulties to it and then by removing that, it was far better than it was before. Came back the next week, took the rooster out and she found the problem she was living with far better. So often when we're going through some kind of a difficulty, are we focusing on the problem or are we focusing on the problem solver? Are we finding somebody that we can serve? The Apostle Paul says, Brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty as an occasion to your flesh, but by love serve one another. Galatians 5 and verse 13. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2. But as we focus on our purpose... Our purpose is not only to serve, as Paul says, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Paul says our purpose is to renounce. We're to renounce. And the Apostle Paul talks about what it is that we are to renounce. The one thing that we're to renounce is those unrevealed sins. The Apostle Paul says we have renounced the hidden things of darkness. These are the things that one hides and puts away because we're ashamed of them. You know, Paul is pointing out the fact that some of those things that are never seeing the light of day are those conscience killers. They can be so easy for us to try to subdue and keep from others and we feel like if nobody else sees it that we're getting away with it. Isn't that what drove Achan 
to do what he did in Joshua chapter 7. When he saw, he coveted, he took and he hid. In the midst of the spoils of war, such a great victory was being handed to them. Surely nobody saw that. Or I think about when Elisha has the great victory in showing Nahum and the power of God and healing the leprosy that he had. And as the uh, Nahum, as we would expect, was so grateful, he said, What can I give you? And Elisha says, Nothing at all. And they go away and Gehazi knows that this rich man is willing to give some great gift, goes back. He takes it. He hides it in his house on the way back to Elisha. But God knew and Elisha knew exactly what had happened. But he felt like nobody knew. And what about Ananias and Sapphira? Surely it was a little thing to say that you gave everything when you're only giving part of it. You know, there's this tendency in us to try to hide these things that we feel like maybe we can get away with. But the Apostle Paul says our purpose on this earth is to renounce those unrevealed sins, but also those unscrupulous attitudes. He says we're not walking in craftiness. You know, what God has us here to do is to try to renounce, to stand up against that get-away-with-it philosophy that pervades our society. And we're also to renounce that untrue doctrine. He says, we're not adulterating the Word of God. You know, I'm so thankful that God has given us a word that is a perfect guide. As David says, it's a lamp into our feet and a light into our pathway. It is meant to give us the only pattern, the only way to make it through this life into heaven. And there's so many beautiful truths in God's word, but so often what we do is, if we're not careful, we can distort what God says. God makes it clear that He loves everybody. John chapter 3 and verse 16 Sometimes people will twist that in essence to say that God is going to save everybody no matter what. We see in the Bible very clearly that faith is so essential that without it we cannot please God. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. But some will take that and they'll twist that and they'll say that faith is all that you've got to have in order to be pleasing to God. Or we'll see the uh, indication given in places like Ephesians 4 and verse 32 that we're to be kind to one another and tender-hearted. But some will twist that to say that you can't make a moral judgment about anyone. God has you and me here even as the blows of this life are coming into our lives. He has us here for a purpose. And if we can focus on that purpose, it can help us to absorb those blows better. And we're here to renounce, to be God's watchman on the wall when the world is going a different direction. But we're also here to preach Jesus Christ. That's what Paul makes very clear in verse 1 and verse 5, that we preach Jesus Christ. I don't know, uh, perhaps through some previous contact that you've had, you've heard the name Andrew Connolly. Uh, the school of preaching in Tanzania was named for him. He was a great gospel preacher. And I loved what he said one time with regard to the Great Commission in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. He says that we rightly condemn the disobedience for their not following what God commands In Mark chapter 16 and verse 16, He that believes not shall be condemned. But he says that there's only one command in the Great Commission, and it's to the Christian. Go preach. Until everyone in the body of Christ sees this uh, idea that preaching the gospel is not just something that the man who stands before us does, but in a broader sense, in a general sense, is something that God has all of us to do, then the commission is not going to be carried. He doesn't say, wait or sit, or pay, or pray. He simply says to the Christian, go preach. 
You know, there are going to be some days that are better in your life. Times when it seems like everything is going your way, that the winds of life are in the sails and are pushing you forward. But no matter whether it's good or bad, life for you must be one in which you fulfill your purpose. And the Apostle Paul reminds us of what that purpose is. But then the second thing that you can do when life deals you a blow is to recognize your power source. In verse 7. I find it very interesting, this imagery that Paul uses. He says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. A great many of the Jews in the first century church would have been poor. They would have had humble houses. They would have had humble means. And and as a result, their, their goods and their wares would have been very simple. But what they would often do is they would put their greatest treasures, money and valuables, into these very weak clay pots or jars. It seems like that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Isn't it interesting that God has given us the task to go and preach to the same weak people as we are ourselves? We're made of that same material. I also find it interesting that some of the most physically unspectacular people, plain and ordinary people, God uses to advance the gospel and to win souls for Christ. I also recognize the fact that all of us who attempt to share Jesus with others do so realizing that we are weak, we have flaws, we have difficulties ourselves, we are that cracked pot, if you will. We also see that in this mission that we're given, that God has given us something that allows us, even if folks can't see this, the, the value in us, that we are meant to be more substance than form. And I appreciate that because the one I'm striving to serve is described in the same way. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 2, even though he had no flaws, he had no faults at all, he was physically unspectacular. He had no stately form or majesty. And when we looked on him, there's nothing about him that we should be attracted to him. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 2. The Apostle Paul says that in every house there are all kinds of vessels. There's gold and silver, but also earthenware and wood, some to honor and some to dishonor. But what God wants is for us to be sanctified and prepared for the Master's use, prepared for good works. I'm challenged to realize that in my unspectacular form, God wants me, when the blows of this life are coming about, To focus on the source of my power. It's not me, but it's Christ who lives in me. What do you do when life deals you a blow? You need to properly view your problems. In verse 8 through verse 12, the Apostle Paul presents for us a paradox. It seems like that things are hopeless, but they're not. The Apostle Paul has the troubles and struggles that we'll read about all throughout 2 Corinthians, but despite the fact that these things are happening, he understood that he's not been abandoned. He's not been forgotten. Even though he's been pressed down, even though he's been persecuted, even though he's perplexed, even though he's been put down, here's the Apostle Paul who understands who he is and what he's here to do, and as the result of that, the gospel is going to be shared. Even though there's hardships in his life, he wants to make sure that he's grounded. His hope is in the Christ that he presents. So the Apostle Paul says, even though these things are happening, we keep our focus on not the problems that we're going through, but again, on the problem solver. You know, it's so easy for us, isn't it? Maybe the problems that we have come into our lives are not our fault. Maybe it's the result of something that someone else has done to us. Maybe the problems are inexplicable. 
Maybe the problems are random. Maybe the problems are brought into our lives because of the sins and the, the troubles of others that they bring on us. Or maybe it's because of what we go through as a result of our self-infliction. But no matter what, we've got to understand that our problems are those things that we can stand on to get to higher ground. But then fourth, when life deals you a blow, maintain your principles. In verse 13 through verse 15, the Apostle Paul speaks with a conviction that says, According as it is written, I believe and therefore I have spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. I want you to notice that the Apostle Paul gives us the affirmation of that conviction. There's a challenge there in verse 15. How much of what I believe do I have tied down in Scripture? How much of what I believe is a matter of convenience or a matter of conviction? Paul says we believe and therefore we speak. You know, when you walk through the different acts of worship, do you, you think about what Paul's going to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, how much we walk by faith and not by sight? We believe and therefore we speak. We believe... That God came in the form of flesh. That He lived a perfectly sinless life. And that because of this, Jesus was able to hang on a cross and through His death be the substitute for our sin. That He was laid in the grave, but He came out of the grave the third day. And that He is alive now. That He was raised up to heaven. He's at the right hand of God on your behalf. You have not witnessed any of that. You take that by faith. You're standing upon that foundation. Paul says, we believe. Now, the Apostle Paul, we don't know whether or not he saw Christ in the flesh, but he saw him on the road to Damascus. He saw him out of due time, Galatians chapter 1 and Galatians chapter 2. But the people that he's writing to, they've not seen Jesus. They take it by faith. And so we stand on common ground with them. When life deals us a blow, we rest everything on what we have not seen, but know to be true. And so as the result of that, we have the reason for the affirmation. It's the reason that has been discussed in passing today. It's a reason that much of the world is focusing on more on this day than they will on the rest of the year. That, that He that is God raised up the Lord Jesus. And the God that raised Him up will raise up us also by His power. You see, I live with that realization. And if I did not have that realization, how could I face another day? The Apostle Paul says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ Jesus, we are of all men most miserable. But Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.12, I know whom I believe, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep what I've committed unto him against that day. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16. There's a reason why I believe it. When we look at the resurrection... In the very generation in which it occurred, those who could have brought forth, whether the disciples, if they had taken the body, or the enemies, if they had taken the body, it could have been presented, or it would have been presented. There's no collusion, no thing that men seek together to try to, to hide and to collaborate on. It doesn't, it doesn't last. You think about every scandal our nation has been through, how sealed tight that we thought that it was, the co-conspirators, somebody talks, some piece of evidence comes forward, and somehow it gets uncovered, and we find out what the truth is. It may not be today, but ultimately we find out. In 2,000 years, in all the pushing against the facts of the resurrection, no one has ever changed the truth. And because of that, we rest our faith 
on the reality of the resurrection. And the outcome of that conviction is that we are going to a place more wonderful than this earth. We are going to be reunited with our Lord. When life deals you a blow, you've got to maintain your principles. But you finally have got to keep your perspective. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 shows us the truth. You know, things may be falling apart on us on the outside, but inside where God is at work, things are being made. And what we're going through now is small potatoes compared to the glory that's going to be revealed someday. And so we don't worry about the things that are here today and gone tomorrow. Instead, we focus on the things that cannot be taken away from us. Whether you absorb the blows of life successfully or not, here's what the Bible says. This body is going to the grave. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 7 says that. It says, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. And the Spirit is going to return to God forever. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear His voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of condemnation. So however I handle the problems and difficulties of this life... This body's only going to be here so long. But there's a part of me that's going to live forever. And the Apostle Paul wants us to see that even if this earthly tabernacle, this house were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hand, eternal in the heavens. And and all of chapter 5 is going to point us to the fact of what's happening after this life and how we have a responsibility to let everybody know about that. I don't know, do you ever wish that Life didn't have problems, that you didn't have difficulties to go through. Sure, we all do. But it's a reality and inevitability. So what are we going to do when the problems of this life blow into our lives? There was a man by the name of George who had a four-year-old daughter named Sarah. Back in the day, construction crews would uh, put uh, their lights in the smudge pots with open flames. And George's four-year-old daughter got a little too close to the flame, and the fire caught her pants legs. And she had scars that were like jigsaw pieces on the length and the breadth of her legs. In the third grade, there was an essay question that was asked, if you have one wish, what would it be? Sarah said, I wish that everybody's legs looked like mine. You know, when we're struggling, we wish that other people knew what we were going through. Maybe sometimes we don't think that anybody else understands. And maybe we forget that God understands it all. But there are going to be blows that come into our lives. It may be fear. It may be failure. It may be frustration. It may be family. It may be finance. How are you going to deal with the blows that come into life? Well, it depends on who is in you. Paul said that Christ lives and the child of God. And as the result of that, however long or brief the blows of life are that you're dealing with, you will triumph through Christ. The Apostle Paul went through far more than I've ever been through. I can't imagine, at my worst, I'll go through some of the best of what Paul suffered. 
But what encourages me is that Paul was able to successfully overcome. The last words that we have from the Apostle Paul was in anticipation of the crown of life which the righteous judge is going to give to uh, him in that day and to all them that love is coming and is appearing. It wasn't just something Paul could plan for. Maybe you've not been through all that Paul has been through, but that crown of life is just as much for you as it was for him if you'll do as he did and fight the good fight of faith and finish the course looking to that prize that awaits. Maybe this morning you feel like that the blows of this life have so overtaken you that you're about ready to give up. Man, maybe you've been going through it so long and you think, when's the let up? Or maybe you feel like it's so unfair that you should be going through this. And as a result, maybe you don't mean to, but it's caused you to drift apart in your relationship with God. You're not praying to Him like you used to. Or maybe you're not studying His Word to get the guidance that you need through these blows of life like you know that you ought to. Maybe as the result of that, your spiritual life has begun to drift. The devil would love to use that as a scheme to pull you away from him. We can't let that happen. The Apostle Paul says that we don't need to and we don't have to. And that's because of the Christ, the power of that God that's revealed in this beautiful letter. Maybe you find yourself in that place and you need to be brought back to a place of a better relationship with God. Maybe you need to be restored. Maybe there's sin in your life that's overtaken you and you realize that it's taking you away from where it is that you know that you want and need to go. Or maybe it is that you find yourself just struggling. Maybe you've been carrying this burden all alone. Maybe we can pray with you for that. We would love to do that. We'd love to encourage you and help you sometimes. We just don't know what one another is going through. Or maybe it is that you have the greatest problem unsolved. That is the problem of your sin problem. And you need to have that removed. How do you do that? Scripture makes it clear that if you'll act in faith, that great grace that was given on your behalf that we discussed earlier in this lesson, you believe that Jesus is God's Son, you're ready to repent and be baptized, You can have those sins washed away. You can begin that life, not without difficulties, but with a way to cope with those difficulties that you did not have before. If this is your invitation, we would urge you to come right now as we stand and sing.